0: Merry Christmas, it's good to have all of you here this evening. And I don't know about you, but for me there are always some Christmas triggers. There are some things that start to happen around Christmas time that start to get you in the mood for Christmas, if you're a Christmas person. For some, it is Christmas music. To my dismay, I'm not a huge Christmas music fan. Let me just ask you, on behalf of those of us who don't like Christmas music all that much, wait until at least after Thanksgiving, okay, to start playing the Christmas music. But for some people, they, they hear their favorite Christmas song and it gets them in the music, or maybe it's the lights out. You start seeing the lights get put up on the houses, and that triggers Christmas for you, and it starts to feel like Christmas. I would say something about the weather, but we are in Houston, and so there's really no trigger for the weather. It could be hot. It could be cold. We'll all find out together tomorrow. Um, For me, what, what gets me in the mood for Christmas are movies and TV. I think if you take a second and think about it, we have been blessed as a generation with some amazing and classic Christmas movies, Christmas TV shows. In fact, I would argue that everything you could ever need to learn about Christmas, you could learn from a Christmas movie or from a Christmas TV show. I know you probably don't believe me, so we'll run through it. Okay. Number one, the classic story, a Christmas story. Anybody seen A Christmas Story? We've got a picture coming up here, A Christmas Story. Uh, It's a a classic tale, right? You've got... uh, Little boy who all he wants for Christmas is a BB gun. Then he's told, right? There he is. Yeah, you see that (laughs) He's told, right? If you get the gun, you gotta be careful because you'll shoot your eye out. Now if you did not know that line, we have a rock lifting ministry here at the church. We would love to get you out from the rock you've been living under. (laughs) Okay? There's a classic movie you've ever seen, you need to see it. A Christmas story taught me that Christmas, whatever it is about, is about more than presents. Sometimes the things we, we want are the things that don't bring us the, the things we think they bring us or the satisfaction that they need to, 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 to bring us. And so from a Christmas story, I think we can learn that Christmas is more about presents. And then there's the classic, how can we forget it? How the Grinch Stole Christmas. The classic tale. You seen that one? Yeah, yeah. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, everyone knows the plot, right? The Grinch thinks if he can steal all the decorations and all the preparations for the meals and all the trees and all the presents, then there'll be no Christmas. But he does all these things, and yet he's still surprised when there is a Christmas. And so not only have I learned that Christmas is not about just presents, but it's also not about even the decorations we put up, and even the meals that we have, and even the trees that we get. And then we get to one of my, uh, my favorites, A Christmas Vacation, uh, which maybe is a little bit lesser known, but is equally a classic, the, the Griswolds uh, Christmas winter vacation there is right there. Um, Where I learned that that Christmas is about, it's not about trees and family and decorations and presents, but it is about family. Uh, It is about spending time with your family. It is about spending time with your loved ones, uh, no matter what kind of crazy things happen when your loved ones. Just my family? No? We all there? (laughs) Yeah, a a Christmas vacation. And then lastly, and one of my favorites, if not my favorite, is Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, It has to be one of the classics. Love Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie Brown Christmas taught me a lesson that I want to focus on tonight, Um, and it's this that Christmas is about finding joy and hope in unexpected places. Christmas is about finding life in places where you might not expect to find life. If you remember the story of Charlie Brown, he's a depressed little kid, a little cartoon character. He's not able to get into the spirit of Christmas, and so he goes to get advice, and he's kind of guilted into leading a play for his peers. And as he leads this play, he's still not able to get into the spirit of Christmas and get into the meaning of Christmas. And so he's given the task of going and finding a tree. And so he goes out to look for trees. And among all the trees that he has out there, we have these shiny, bright, artificial trees. And then this one little measly tree, almost just a branch. And you see up there on the screen. And he, he picks this tree, and he's ridiculed about this tree. And he goes through, and he finally proclaims, What is Christmas really about? And you get this beautiful scene where Linus, you remember the one with the blanket, gets up in front of the stage and just reads straight from Luke. Actually, there's, they interviewed um, the, the man who, who wrote the comics and who uh, produced the show. And, and when they were making the show years and years ago, they told him, um, you got to cut that part. You can't read the Bible on television. I mean, you can't just do that. And he said, well, let's try it. <laughs> said, let's try it. And he did. And it... it it, it picked up. It, it caught on. And so this is one of my favorite Christmas stories. Um, the Christmas tree in particular, I think, has a lot of symbolism. I think lots of the movie focuses in on this Christmas tree. And I've always kind of, my heart has always kind of gone out to this Christmas tree. I live in a small apartment, but even if I was in a big house, I'd probably pick a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. There's something about its its humbleness. There's something about its smallness, yet the beauty that they're able to find from it that is um, inspiring. He picks this real tree among all of these other kind of pathetic, artificial, shiny, fake trees without life. It's a humble tree, it's rejected, it's despised, but it's real and it's meaningful. And whatever Christmas is about, it's about something humble and something fragile, about something weak, something despised, something marginalized, and something overlooked. And I think that a Charlie Brown Christmas should train our eyes, as Christians in the world, should train our eyes to look for beauty in the unexpected, to look for wonder in the unassuming, and to look for hope in the unconventional, which brings us to the Christmas story, which again is the climax of the Charlie Brown Christmas story. What is Christmas all about? Well, it's about this child, this infant, an infant who was born way out of the way, to nobodies, for nobodies, in the most humble and unassuming of places and circumstances. But yet in this small child, what might be looked over by many people, we find unimaginable hope and joy and love and peace. I'll read our scripture that we heard earlier this morning. It's from Matthew chapter 1. This is Matthew's version of the Christmas story. Both Matthew and Luke tell the Christmas story. It reads like this. Now the birth of Jesus the Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that conversation? And her husband, Joseph, being a, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. If we had more time we could get into this, we won't. I'll be speaking at a woman's retreat in about a month, and so we'll be going through this in detail. Um, Mary could actually be divorced, uh, and she could actually be stoned for um, becoming pregnant by God, quote, right, um, for that story, for being out of woodlock. And so it takes a great deal of faith on her part and a great deal of faith on Joseph's part for them to go through with this. Um, He was a just man, not willing to put her to shame, so resolved to just divorce her quietly. He thought he had been too timed. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this, Matthew says, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin <laughs> shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, Matthew tells us, God with us. And when Jesus woke, or Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We have... The Christmas story. We have um, one of the most humble of beginnings, one of the places where we might not look for love and hope and peace and joy. This child being born, this um, oppressed Jewish peasant bearing a child in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, where we might not expect um, love and hope and joy and peace to come from. But this, the Christmas story, wants to, to train us, to zero us in, to look at this child, to look at this child for all of our, our needs and our wants. And our longings. A couple things to notice from the Christmas story. The first is that this child is a special child. As Christians at Christmas time, we're called to recognize that this infant is like no other infant in certain ways. He has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we believe that God is um, incarnate in Christ, that this child, this infant is actually God himself, which should blow you away, which should, which should, I mean, completely mess with everything that you've ever thought about. When you think about God, we often come to thinking about God with preconceived notions. We know what it means to be God. And then the moment we look at the infant in the manger, all of those crumble. This is God. God becomes a human being. Um, I did my um, graduate work on a, a church father, Cyril, and he spent his whole life arguing that Mary should be called the mother of God. Not the mother of Christ, but the mother of God. That the baby that came out of her was God himself, unqualified. There are no, he's God, but... There know he's God, and this is God incarnate among us. This is the the deepest truth about Christmas. Uh, A Theologian Frederick Buechner once said this, The incarnation, so God becoming a human being, is a kind of a vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. Until we too have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. Until we become scandalized until it shocks us, until it awes us that God himself has become a child. I've argued before and I'll argue again that the real surprise of Christmas is not that God does this as if this was uncharacteristic for God to become a child, to humble himself in order to, to save those he's created. Um, in fact, the real surprise of Christmas is that this is what God's character is like. Um, this is a consistent theme of God throughout all of history as he humbles himself out of love for the other. And he comes and rescues us. The incarnation the crucifixion god in man dying on the cross these aren't things uncharacteristic with god's character that we might say how odd that god would do this for christians when they come to know who god truly is through jesus they think that makes sense it makes sense that god would humble himself out of love and become a man so that we might um we might be saved and brought back to him Um, God's not acting out of character. He's a God of love and redemption. And yet this God of love and redemption is found in the Christ infant, the Christ child. Perhaps we might change the song at Christmas time and sing, My God is so small, so weak, and so helpless. There's nothing that he will not do for you. God found in an infant. The Son of God becomes a human, Christians say, so that humans might become children of God. He became what we are so that we might be with him. The second thing to point out are the names that Matthew gives Jesus in this Christmas story. He's called Jesus and Emmanuel. Uh, for Jewish people, names meant a whole lot. The, the parts of a name when they got together um, told you a lot about the person. My name is Michael. It means one who's like God. Uh, people have never really caught on to it, okay? I'm trying to get people to see a lot of the similarities. You know, as a kid growing up, I thought it meant I would be like Michael Jordan, and I'd be able to get paid to play a game. Um, as I grew up and found out a few things about myself, I realized I would not be able to get paid to play a game. So I thought, what's the next best thing? How if I could get paid to talk? for a little? <laughs> It's worked out pretty well for me so far. Um, Jesus is given two names here, Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus is uh, Joshua in, in Hebrew and in Greek. It's a really popular name, one of the most popular boys' names, and it means the Lord saves. It gives us kind of a, a picture into Jesus' mission here among us. Um, it's, a, it's a common Hebrew name. It tells of, of Jesus' mission and purpose. And then the second name is what I want to zero in on here tonight, Emmanuel, almost a title. Emmanuel, and it means, Matthew tells us, God with us. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Emmanuel, in this infant, God is with us. This is, I think, a, a profound truth about Christmas. Just as Charlie Brown was for a while the only one who was able to find life and meaning in that little tree, so as Christians we are to look at the child, the infant, and say, Emmanuel, this is God with us. There's something profound about this God with us-ness that we find at christmas time i think there's a couple of aspects um, of truth to this idea that god is with us the first is that god is simply present with us as a human race we've gone through our fair share of struggles and continue to go through our fair share of struggles and the god that we worship is not a god who sits far away from those struggles he's a god who has come into our situation who's experienced it fully who knows exactly what it means to be a human being. In fact, a couple of years ago, there was a tragedy at uh, elementary school uh, around the time this season, uh, and at the time, various preachers were making the connection to that tragedy and the actual event when Jesus is born, when there are children who are slaughtered in his city, right? And you remember this, King Herod tries to kill the children. Jesus is born into a world of tragedy, where children face un- unfortunate ends, where mothers lose their children, where, where wars occur, where, where sickness prevails. Jesus knows what it is to be a human being. He's God with us. He's present with us. We have a God who can empathize with us, who can suffer with us. He's vulnerable as a child. He has to, to, to depend on his mother and his father. He has to learn how to speak and how to talk and how to walk and how to read the scriptures. And the scriptures, in fact, say that Jesus is like us in every way, except for sin. And We might wonder if... if Jesus has no sin, and that's a pretty integral part of being a human being. Um, you might go think through how temptation and sin works. And you might ask yourself, who knows temptation more? The man who gives in to the temptation after five minutes of struggle, or the man who gives into temptation after three hours of struggle? Who's really felt the temptation more? You say, well, surely it's the man who sat through it for three hours. He knows exactly what it feels like to be drawn in. The guy who, who gave in after five minutes gave up, right? He doesn't know what it's like to sit there and suffer with that temptation. Jesus, being the only one who never actually gives in to sin, in a paradoxical way, actually understands sin far more than you and I do. <clears throat> understands temptation far more than we do, because we give in so quickly. We don't know what it actually actually feels like in the depth. We don't know what it actually feels like to, to resist to the end. So Jesus is God with us. He's present with us. He is near us. And then the second aspect to this god with usness. Is that Jesus is committed to us. He's committed for us. Um, God has come to save us. Jesus' whole ministry is one of redemption. Um, His whole life, his, his birth, his incarnation, God joins with humanity. Throughout his life, he redeems and saves and rescues and heals and liberates people. Through his death and resurrection, he liberates us. Another theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, once said Human beings are dehumanized by fear. We're dehumanized by fear. But we should not be afraid. Look to him, the Christ child, in your fear. Think about him. Place him before your eyes. Pray to him and believe that he is now with you and helps you. The fear will fade and you will become free. God wants to always be with us wherever we may be in our sin, in our suffering, and in our death. We are no longer alone. God is with us. As Jesus ends his ministry and is ascended back up into heaven, he gives a charge to his disciples at the end of the book of Matthew called the Great Commission. And and part of what he says there is, I will be with you always to the ends of the ages. It forms a bookend for Matthew. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, at the beginning of the book. And at the end of the book, he says, I'll always be with you. I'll always be present with you. Truly, this is God with us. Truly, humanity, here's the message at Christmas. We are not alone. You are not alone. He is here. He is present. He is helping. In your sin, in your suffering, in your darkness, in your despair, we are not alone. We talked about things that trigger us for Christmas. I have a new trigger this year, or at least uh, another thing that now comes to my mind when Christmas time rolls around. Some of you may remember this. Um, Last Christmas Eve was not the best of times for me. Um, I've had dental problems throughout my life, and and last Christmas Eve was the culmination of a few days of dental pain that i have been having. Uh, I've got this app on my iPhone, Hop, and it shows you, you know, things you put on the internet from years past. And So I've had great memories all day about all the, the pain I was giving to the internet. Uh, so this, I had this pain that was growing and growing and growing in my mouth and for a few days. And on Christmas Eve, we had family over, and I'm locked in a bedroom by myself, doubled over. I mean, I've never felt pain like this in my life. Um, And so I decide I have to go to a clinic. I mean, I don't know what else to do, but this is more pain than I've ever felt. So I go to a clinic. Um, This is right before Christmas Eve service, which I'm slotted to preach at. It's one of our biggest services of the year, all that good stuff. I've called Wes, our youth pastor. I've said, you need to be ready to preach, okay, tonight. And he's like, what? I'm like, no, you need to be ready to preach tonight. I'm going to a doctor. We'll see what happens. So I go to this doctor. They gave me pain meds. They say, we're not dentists. We have no idea what's wrong with you. Here's some pain medicine to hold you through. And so I take the pain medicine. Um, Again, Wes is on call. Just across the room, a little nod, and Wes gets up and preaches inside of me. Or if I'm up, can't do it, Wes is getting up on the stage and taking over for me. In a lot of pain. By this point, um, Christmas Eve service rolls around. I'm in a lot of pain medication as well. But it turns out they'd given me, like, the... And it makes sense, you at know, the clinic, right? The drug seekers, I'm sure, come in all the time. I told them I was a pastor. I thought that would help. You know, I showed up, they weighed me, and the, the person weighing me goes, wow, you're a little big boy. And I thought, wow, now my feelings hurt as much as my tooth. And your, your hair is a little gray. You're a little young for that, if we're making observations. I didn't say that in the second part. Um, so they give me this pain medicine and it's not really touching the pain but we get through the service and I go home to my apartment when I'm married I go home to my apartment that evening and the pain's getting worse and I've, I've taken almost half this prescription of pain medicine it's not even I mean it's not touching the pain it's like a different it's qualitatively different category it's like it's affecting a different part of my body but not my mouth and so I'm sitting there I'm pacing my apartment I'll be honest just because I'm an honest person I'm a man I'll own it I was crying okay <laughs> the most pain I've ever been in in my entire life and so I'm unashamed to admit it I'm a mama's boy so what do I do? I call my mommy. <laughs> I said, I don't know what to do. All I know is I can't stay alive with this kind of pain right now. I, I, Someone needs to put me unconscious. I've never, I've never felt this before, and I can't keep living this way. So she came and picked me up, and we spent the night in the ER, uh, where they gave us the good pain medicine. <laughs> I remember Christmas Eve wondering... Um, why I had no hands and then I woke up and it was Christmas morning and I thought this is truly the Christmas, the Christmas spirit um, there's something though that changed when my mother showed up to pick me up from my apartment and take me to the ER when she was with me there was this aspect of one knowing that someone was present with me someone had to acknowledge my pain right? someone was going to go through this experience with me and then two I know that she was committed to me right? no matter what would happen she would make sure that I got the help I needed She would help me communicate with the doctors. She would advocate for me. I think this is the meaning of Christmas. I think this is Emmanuel right in front of us. In an unexpected place, in an infant born in Palestine 2,000 years ago, we find the message that we're not alone, that we haven't been left to ourselves. But God has come, and he's come to save, and he's come to redeem. So this Christmas season, maybe we'll we'll train our eyes, like Charlie Brown teaches us to, to, to find beauty and hope and joy in unexpected places. I'd encourage you as, as you worship the child this evening, the Christ child who, who grew up to be the one who, who lived and preached and healed and, and taught and was crucified and resurrected. And as you worship him to know that God is with you no matter your sin, no matter your darkness, no matter your doubts. And then also I'd, I'd ask for you to, to look for ways this Christmas season that you can incarnate God's presence to other people around you. Ways that you might be the hands and feet of Christ to people around you. Christ has ascended, but he has a body still on earth. It's called the church, and and we go out and we incarnate his presence in the world around us. We are a message to the world. We go to those places and we say, you're not alone. God is with us. And we embody that in a tangible way. We're a vehicle of his love for other people. So this Christmas season, may we train our eyes to find, even in this infant, the God who created the universe, who says, you're not alone. I've come to save you. Would you bear with me? Father, we, we thank you for the evening to worship. We thank you for the gift of your Son, which is the greatest gift that we.